This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi, and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of the show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help, and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Yep, my name's Craig and I'm an alcoholic. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in living with an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it gets a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and to become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism and the alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and to admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise helpless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery, and it has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. Hi, so I wonder if our guests would like to introduce themselves and give us a quick sketch of who you are, maybe starting with your age. Yeah, hi, my name's Craig and I'm an alcoholic and um, I am 
late 30s, so late it starts with a five. Uh, still have to put it like 30s. <laughs> we'll say, yeah, I'm 51. Um, I got sober at age 22. I've been sober for 29 years. And um, yeah, to me, like if I hadn't got sober at age 22, I was not going to make 25. Um, it, it was that simple. And that's how bad my drinking was. Um, I was, yeah, I was supposed to be dead by the age of 25, and now I'm not. Now I'm actually living a really useful, rewarding, rich and rewarding life. I have a great life, actually. And for me, I put that all down to what I've done in AA, in the program I learned in AA. Great. So when did, can you just sort of, going back a bit, can you tell us about when you started drinking and how it progressed? I started drinking very young. I can't actually remember my first drink. As far back as I can remember, like my parents would drink sherry and I'd have a, a little sip of dad's sherry or my uncles would come around and there wasn't a lot of alcoholism in my family. It wasn't, you know, they, they all drank quite normally. Um, right. But I can remember being very young and I would, my uncles would all come around and they'd sit around and have a beer or two, nothing nothing bad. And I would start with my dad and convince him to give me a sip of beer. Then I'd go around to my next uncle around the table, convince him to, give him to give me a sip and so on and work my way right around the table. Right. And for me it was just it was just fascinating. There was something about it that I just, you know, I always seemed to take drinking a lot more seriously than the people around me. Right. Um, by the time I was 18, I was drinking most days. I had a good bunch of mates in high school and even then now, we would do the normal thing that teenagers do. You get get drunk and you throw up and you do that kind of thing. Uh, but I always took it a bit more seriously than them. Right. After high school, I joined the Air Force, and that was really when my drinking took off because it was a work hard, play hard culture. It, was, um, not, it wasn't condoned, but it was tolerated. Heavy drinking was co- tolerated. Right. And it was right there. It was really accessible, and it took off, and it should have been one of the happiest times of my life because I had no impediments to my drinking. I could drink as much as I wanted, and I was completely miserable. My life right. was just getting worse and worse and worse and was circling the drain and the thing for me is I could never figure out why everything I touched turned to crap in front of my face it didn't seem to happen for my mates but it always happened for me and I could never figure out what it was and yeah suddenly I found myself at age 22 sitting in a mental institution in a treatment program for alcohol dependency they called it and I was sitting there going how how did that happen no that wasn't how it was supposed to go for me it was supposed to be or be a very different story for me but there I was at age 22. But how did it happen how did you actually get there? I actually got there through the help of the Air Force. Uh, I got The thing was, when I was young and you're a teenager, you get drunk, you throw up, you break a few things, it's not that serious. As I got older, my drinking got more serious and the trouble it got me into got more and more serious. It wasn't just breaking um, some things at a friend's place, it was crashing cars and getting DIC charges. And I came to the attention of the authorities a few too many times in the Air Force. Um, right. They called it highly visible. Being highly visible was not good. So there. was that tr- trouble within the Air Force or also outside of it? Um, mainly, mainly in the Air Force and right. also a bit outside of it. They, they frowned. They took a, take, yeah, they um, looked very dimly on bringing the Air Force into disrepute. Right. A lot of military places do. Yeah. And so getting DICs and crashing cars, that was yeah, really frowned on. And what they did was they, they actually were really forward thinking at the time. They looked on alcoholism as a disease. Right. They said, to me, they set, put me into a treatment institution and put me on a treatment program. Did you have any choice? No. no. <laughs> well, I had the choice to leave. Right. And yep. they made it very clear, look, this is your one chance. We're going to look after you. We'll put you this. But if you mess up again, that's it. You're gone. Right. And for me, I went into treatment to save my job. After six months of being an A, I didn't care if I lost my job or not. It was all about just staying away from that drink because I'd understood what was actually wrong with me and what it was doing with me, and I knew where the problem actually was. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, the Air Force put me into treatment and introduced me to. I got introduced to A that way, but really I couldn't put the end and say they both saved my life. The medical officer at the time, I actually credited him with saving my life. Yeah. So when you said before I wouldn't have made twenty five, was that a medical assessment? That's my medical assessment of me. Right. Um, by the time I was. 
yeah, I used to get these terrible hangovers and it would be four o'clock in the afternoon before I could hold down a glass of water. And when I was there, like dry reaching into a sink and the only thought in my head was, I hope I can get rid of this hangover before I go out drinking again tonight. Yeah. Uh, normal people that did that would think, oh, that was dumb. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And they wouldn't. For me, it was a nightly occurrence. I weighed 56 kgs. I hardly ever ate. It was yeah. like liquid dinners all the time. And I was miserable. I thought about suicide most days. So either yeah. I was going to die in a car accident, I was going to just cark it, or I was actually going to get the guts to kill myself. I had tried to kill myself a couple of times. And yeah, and when I look at how I was at age 22, there was no way that I could have lived like that for another three years. Yeah. So why were you so skinny? Why, why weren't you eating? Did you, is it was just that your focus was purely on alcohol? My focus. Or was it yeah. the eating's cheating thing? Eating, well, yeah, eating is cheating. Liquid dinners was the thing. Um, yeah. I could never face breakfast because I was usually hungover. Yeah. And then I'd have lunch. That was pretty much lunch would be it. And then um, into the Emmons Club for a liquid dinner before. So could you just, because I have no um, sort of military or sort of understanding, so those clubs and things, you could just drink your fill on anything all night? Is that kind of how it... Pretty much. They had opening hours and um, when you were on courses like you, you had to study and I, uh, here at Wigram on a training base they, they were restricted hours. But the, it was cheap because you didn't pay tax on it. So it was... Um, oh, so like, it wasn't free? It wasn't free but right. it was um, yeah very cheap. Probably less than half of what you pay in a in a, a bar or a nightclub. And how many hours? Were, what, what were the opening hours? Um, they opened at 11, um, every day a week. Um, oh, in, the tra- in the training base, it was Monday and Tuesday they were closed. And by the end of my drinking, I was actually really grateful for that because it was two days to recover. Right. Um, and, yeah, I tried to control my drinking by only drinking in the weekends. And they'd be open till 11 o'clock at night. That was the thing. Right. And, um, yeah, so weekends were sort of Friday night, because Friday's a weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Then, well, Thursday night's practically Friday, which is practically the weekend. Wednesday night's practically Thursday night, which is practically <laughs> Friday night. So, and on and on it goes. Right. And I got to a point where I would try to get some study done. I would force myself to wait until an hour before closing time before I went into the club to yeah. start drinking, thinking that I couldn't get myself into any trouble if I only drank for an hour. And then it became a race to see how many jugs I could get down right, my throat yeah. for that one hour. And I learned I could get through two jugs and I could buy the third one. And if you had a jug, had some drinks in front of you, you were allowed to finish them before they kicked you out. So then I was, yeah, getting through three jugs in an hour. That that for me was controlling it. Yeah. So you so you said you were studying at the time, or you were doing training. Mm-hmm. Stud, was it studying? How how was your memory? Were you able to retain? Did it impact on your study? Like I said, I was a, I was a bright kid. For me, it was a lot of it was quite easy. And uh, I went to one. I remember going to one maths test, still hungover from the night before. I actually had no. That was about my first blackout. I had no memory of what had happened the night before. Right. And I think I got ninety four percent. So yes, I could have done better, but I also did okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Drinking mainly affected me physically. Um, mentally, it just made my head race all the time. But it, for me, it was more physical than and mental. And it made me, yeah, it sort of drove me insane, but it didn't affect my sort of yeah, mental f- faculties much. Yeah. So you mentioned blacking out. Did that become a regular thing for you? It became very regular. The first one scared scared me a lot. I didn't yeah. do it for some time after that. By the end of my drinking, it was happening every second weekend. Right. And I mean, if a normal person woke up with their face covered in blood and no memory of what happened the night before, again, they would say, that was dumb, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And they wouldn't. For me, when that happened to me, I thought to myself, well, that was dumb, I won't do that again tonight. Yeah. Two weeks later, I drank myself into blackout again. Yeah. That's the thing, if you can't control it, you can't control your drinking, yep. you can't control the outcome. There were many times I walked into the Emmons Club, actually determined not to drink that night, yeah. and then woke up the next morning with no memory of what had happened. And yeah. that was the thing. Once I had that first one, I couldn't control what happened after that. Yeah. That's the scary part that's of alcohol. The, that's the disease part. Yeah. So, um, so 
I guess, you know, we sort of like to have an understanding of how people drink. Were you a, um, so it was every day, you wouldn't describe yourself as a binge drinker, you were definitely a blackout drinker by the sounds of it. Um, most days, yeah. Um, I, I describe myself as a binge drinker because at the end I was binging on the weekends. But right. it was, yeah, a binge for me was every weekend. Yeah. Okay. And did you ever think it was a problem at, at, at the early stage and try and give up? I knew it was a problem, um, but I thought I was drinking as a symptom of all my other problems. Right. I realised that the drinking actually was the problem causing all the other problems. I had it completely around the wrong way. And right. that's another factor of the disease. Yeah. Like you say, the disease tells you it hasn't got it and you, have, you don't have yeah. it. And so I thought I was drinking as the only way of coping with what was actually going on with, in my life. Yeah. And actually it was completely the other way around. The drinking was causing all the problems. Yeah. The last six months of my drinking, I watched myself destroy everything that I cared about. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going wrong. And I thought the drinking was the only thing that was actually keeping me together. And yeah. Keeping me from going on, keeping me going on when it was, it was the part that was destroying everything. But that's how the disease tricks you. It makes yeah. you think that the my insane life was the only normal one. Yeah. It is crazy, isn't it? It's very crazy. So, so what happened? What what made you realise that? We, tell us about the point that you got to when you sort of thought, "I need help." Um, for me, the point when I realised I needed help was actually after I'd got sober and I was in AA. Right. I didn't actually have any choice about going there, which was right. probably a good thing because left yeah. to my own devices, I probably wouldn't have chosen that. Um, but when I found myself in treatment and going to AA meetings, and for me, when I started going to AA meetings for the first time in my life, I met other people that didn't just drink like me they actually thought like me and they felt like me and they were the yeah. first people I ever met that really spoke my language yeah i'd met one or two during the time but here was a whole group of people that all like i say i had so much more in common with than i had with anyone else yeah and that was when i sort of and i listened to their stories and some of them were horrific yeah and some of them are far worse than mine but in each one of these stories i could identify the point in their story that i was at at the current time and i thought right okay these people all have the same problems that I'm currently going through. They're the only people I've ever heard talk about those problems. Yeah. And they all say they're alcoholic. Maybe I should actually listen to what they did to get out of it and try that for myself. And that was, so it was really sort of being a few months in AA that I actually realized I needed AA's help and I needed help definitely with my drinking. Right. So before you stopped drinking, could you talk about how you felt sort of um, in terms of like mentally and emotionally and sort of spiritually? It was just chaos is how I'd describe it for me um, yeah like I said I thought about suicide a lot for the last five or six years of my life and um, I would describe it as having a big black hole of emptiness in my gut it was either a big black hole of emptiness or a big white ball of rage it was yeah rage or emptiness was about the only things ever felt my brain raced all the time it was just always nuts and um Spiritually, there was nothing. There was no sort of spirituality to me, to my life at all. It was all just focused on next drink and trying to figure out what was going on wrong with my life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, was, things were pretty black, and I couldn't figure out how to get out of that. What, yeah. What was going wrong? How yeah. do I solve this? Why, why isn't this happening to the other people around me? Am I just one of the unluckiest so-and-sos on the face of the planet? What's going on here? And I just could never figure it out. And it was it was insanity. And like I say, those thoughts of when you, you're throwing up no bright green stomach acid and all you can think about is going out drinking again that night yeah. that's what my life that was what, what my brain was telling me it was um insanity at the time i didn't realize how insane it was it wasn't until i got a bit saner that i could look back on that and go wow that was really crazy yeah but it was just yeah big black emptiness and and no hope for any no hope was the biggest thing yeah i couldn't see how was this ever going to get any better yeah and when you you spoke before about rage how did that manifest itself for you um, I just always walked around like I had a chip on my shoulder and like the world was treating me unfairly right. and it was just um, a burning ball of rage in my gut. 
all right. the time. And um, yeah, I always thought the world was doing me wrong and, and the world was really unfair to me um, and I, I deserved better. Uh, and um, I never sort of sort of thaw, saw my part in that. Yeah. And that didn't go away just as soon as I stopped drinking. That, that's, that's the thing. But that was sort of what a lot of the time of drinking was about dousing that fire, putting that rage out for a bit, or yeah. filling in the big black hole in my gut, and I'd fill it in with, with booze, and filling in the, the loneliness. There's a terrible loneliness being an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, even when, like I could be in, a, in the Eamons Club when the place was going off, and it was party time, and everyone was having a great time, I would be sitting there looking around thinking, I don't belong with these people. I'm getting drunk, and they're all having a great time, but I don't feel like I belong here. Yeah. And there's that terrible loneliness. And again, the drinking was the only thing I used to deal with that. Mm. It was the only tool. It was at the time. It was the only tool in my toolbox for dealing yeah. with that turmoil inside. Yeah. So you obviously you you went into your um, rehab type mm-hmm. thing, and then you got to a first AA meeting. And can you tell us um, the, and the people listening what it was like? My first AA meeting for me was um, the first one. Actually, probably not a good example. It was in treatment, and the, the only thing I can remember um, it was quite an experience for me. Something I'd never sort of encountered before and all really new and weird. And the only thing I can remember is two guys saying that they'd killed someone. There was one guy who was in the army and one guy who had done time for manslaughter. At the time I thought, well, that's it. I haven't killed anyone. Therefore, I cannot be alcoholic. I don't belong here. (laughs) Scot-free. Away I go. And after a few meetings, I started to hear other people saying things that I had done, things I had never told anyone else that I had done, and things yeah. I was never going to tell anyone else that I had done. Yeah. And gradually, I started to identify. When you hear, when I sat there and I heard parts of my story coming out of other people's mouths, and I thought, okay, I possibly, maybe I should listen a bit closer. And then eventually, it's like maybe I belong here. Then maybe I should try some of the things that these people are doing because they're not living like that anymore. Yeah. They're all having good lives and enjoying themselves. And there was a, a twinkle in their eye that I just thought. They seem content. They seem yeah. happy with their lot. And I had nothing like that. For me, my life was just a big black emptiness. Circling the drain is how I describe my life just before I came in AA. And I was looking forward to death, really. A yeah. lot of the time I thought, I'm better off dead. So how would you say you've managed to stay sober this whole time? I've stayed sober because I tried the things that the people that were sober when I got into AA told me to, to try. And it's um, I can't actually tell you how it works. And why it works, I just know that it does. Yeah. And and they um like there's this twelve steps of AA, and I started working my way through those. I got a sponsor, and a lot of the times I did what they suggested I try because I was cert- I was certain it wasn't going to work, and I thought I'll try it, and when it doesn't work, I'll throw it back in their face. Yeah. And gradually it did work, and gradually my life has gotten better, and um, it's really just from following the twelve steps. And I can't actually like I say I can't explain how it worked or why. I just know that before I came into AA. Not drinking was like trying to hold my breath. I could only do it for for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Now it doesn't feel like I'm holding my breath. I feel like I'm just it's just not not doesn't hold any interest for me anymore. And yeah. I can't actually tell you what changed for that. I just know that it's from going to meetings. And the reason I still go to AA meetings these days is because those people that were there when I arrived and the things they told me to do and, and they made time for me. They gave me suggestions. They you know they really had a lot of patience with me. And those people saved my life. And that's not being overly dramatic. That yeah. is fact. Yeah. And the way I pay them back for that is by doing the same thing with other people now. So really for me now, um, what keeps me sober now is going back to meetings and trying to repay those people that saved my life. Yeah. And I don't know if what I say in meetings does help anyone else. I just know that I, I have to try to do it. Yeah, indeed. So how do you cope with difficulties when they come along? Um, I've you know followed the principles of AA. And most of the time now, the reason I can cope with this, I have a lot more tools in my toolbox. Like I said, yeah. my, in early days, my, earlier, my to- only tool was to get drunk and hope it went away. And usually what would happen is I'd get drunk, I'd create more difficulties, and they would sort of swamp over the one I was trying to get, deal with. And that was how right. I dealt with everything. Now I actually I have learnt the tools that normal human beings learnt during those 
learned during those formative years when I was always drunk. And I can deal with things like a normal human being would most of the time. I don't resort to drowning out the feelings. I know how to work my way through them. I've learnt I've learnt that I'm an introvert and that I sort of for me I gain I gain energy from being alone. And so for me taking my dog for a walk and just thinking through a problem is one of the best things I can do. And the key thing I've learnt for dealing with stuff is not to blame other people now. Yeah. When I came into AA, all my problems were all the rest of the world's fault. It was because the, the universe treated me poorly and didn't give me a fair shake. And now it's not like that. Now I look at my part in things and when people annoy me, it's not how can I change them to stop them annoying me. It's how can I deal with their behaviour without you know, throwing my toys out of the cot. Yeah. I've learned techniques for being able. For me now, it's about um, me not throwing my toys out of the cot, me keeping all my toys in my cot regardless of what anyone else does. Yeah. Before it was always about changing other people. Now I've learned how to deal with things myself without relying on other Because relying on other people for my happiness and my peace of mind is a sure path of disappointment. And yeah. Kind of disappoint. For me now, I know not to rely on other people for that. I've learned techniques for dealing with it myself yeah how important has service been as as a part of your recovery um hugely for me um i've i was very slow into service but the thing is like i say the people that were there when i got there they saved my life and they were doing that kind of thing that, and for me it's about keeping aa going and one thing is if you're an alcoholic and and you sort of think no one understands you I've, i was certainly felt like that and the only people who ever found that really spoke my language are other alcoholics and there's certain twists of uh, certain ways we think and certain twists of feelings that no one can understand unless they've been through it. And that's really why it's, it's all about alcoholics helping, them, helping each other. No one can really understand an alcoholic like another alcoholic. And I got into service by, because someone asked me to, I thought, well, I can't say no without seeming selfish, so I'll try it. <laughs> And that was the thing. I spent a couple of days. I, I said to him, I'll think about it. And what I meant was let me have some time to work out how I can say no without looking really selfish. And I couldn't, <laughs> so I said yes. And I just found it really rewarding. You know, that thought of um, I got into service by doing public speaking, by going to another treatment um, centre and, and speaking. And the feeling I got from that was huge. It was like it would be a cold winter's night. I think, oh, I don't really want to go and do this. And I'd go and do the speaking, and then I'd go home on a high. And it was yeah. a really rewarding feeling. And that feeling of sort of knowing that you you might have helped someone else. And that yeah. was hugely rewarding for me. And, yeah, it's for me I can see, like AA, like I learned, it's not about relying on other people to do other things. And so AA, we have to rely on each on ourselves and on each other. And so AA has to keep going by the efforts of its own members. And, and that's that's what, for me, service is about. Yeah. And it's about that giving back the people that, that saved my life. Yeah, for sure. So how would you describe your life now, things like relationships, um, future goals, you know how you feel that sort of thing i have a life now is how i describe it when before i came to AA, all i really had was a long slow painful death right and what i have now is a rich and rewarding life um and and it's not the the physical things for me like yes i do have a really good life i'm in a, a um, stable relationship with a fantastic woman that i really love and we both have good jobs that pay well and we're both and we're good at we own a house we have drive nice cars and but that's not sort of what keeps me going to AA. The thing for me really is what it's done for me inside. Like I can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Before I stopped drinking, even when I just uh, shortly after I stopped drinking, I couldn't be in a room by myself in silence. I had to turn on a radio or a TV or something that I wasn't alone. Now I'm actually quite comfortable just sitting by myself, um, taking my dog for a walk by myself. And yeah, and I like I say, I, can, I have peace of mind most of the time. And when I don't have peace of mind, I know how to fix it. And I know that I don't have to try to get someone else to fix it for me. I can fix it for myself. Yeah. And I am comfortable in my own skin. That is the hugest thing for me. I am comfortable in my own skin. I can make plans for the future. I have a future to look forward to. I look forward to a lot of things. And when I was drinking, there was nothing to look forward to. Like I say, it was a long, slow, drawn-out, painful death. And yeah. 
what I have now is just the exact opposite of that. I have a very rich and rewarding life that I, I really I wake up every morning happy to be here. Yeah. When I was drinking, I woke up every morning hoping, wishing that I hadn't. Yeah. So what advice do you think you'd give to someone? So, so for the people listening, is there any question you think that they should ask themselves? And also what advice do you think you, that you, you, sh- you would like to give them? The advice I would give is just try it out. AA doesn't work for everyone, but it does work for a lot of people. I know a lot of people that it works for, and it worked for me. And if it worked for me, really, it can work for anyone, because I'm nothing special. Um, yes, I've been sober for 20, 29 years, but I'm nothing really that special. And, yeah, if, if at all it costs you is, is, you know, six or nine weeks, go to a meeting, go to meetings for a few weeks, and you find it doesn't, it's not for you, then you haven't really lost anything. But yeah. what you might, the chances of what you might gain are enormous. And yeah. And as we have a saying in A, you can always have your misery back. And, <laughs> and for me, I, I didn't find myself sitting in an AA meeting by accident. I thought there was a terrible mistake had been made. And then actually I thought, no, this is where I belong. So the advice I would give to anyone is just give it a try. Yeah. And the, the question I would ask is, look, if there's anything from my, what I've said, from my story that you think, oh, I've done that, then just like try it out. You know, you've got nothing to lose by going to a few AA meetings and, and finding out, okay, it's not really for me. And if you do go along and you find yourself hearing all your own story, then maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah, indeed. So AA has been described as a spiritual program. How would you describe life led on a or lived on a spiritual basis? It's For me, it's, it involves far more peace of mind. It's far more rich and rewarding. And for me, living by spiritual principles is simply how I've learned to, to be comfortable in my own skin. And it's not hard things like meditation. Lots of people do meditation. And you know, people do meditation for dealing with stress with work. That's a spiritual principle. And it's not religious at all. Anyone can do it. And for me, that was how I learned not to be lonely. Because that was the first time I really forced myself to sit and be with myself for an extended length of time. And that was how I... How I got over my crushing loneliness from alcoholism was by learning how to meditate. And yeah, some, yeah, just a much more rich and rewarding way of life. And I see the world differently. And things that used to bother me don't. Some things that didn't used to bother me suddenly do. But it's just a much more um, hopeful way of living. There's a lot more hope involved in my life now yeah. beforehand. Nice. I'd like to thank our guests for coming along the show and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom wisdom to know know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.